Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining with us for this week's podcast. As per usual, before we begin our time together, I just want to take a moment, let you know a few things that are coming up in our community. Today, Dr. Rick Strangway is continuing our series, Healed by Jesus, and Rick is a professor at Ambrose University. He was a pastor for a number of years, and he calls Southview home. Coming up on March 10th, 11th, we're having our annual Lenten seminar. It is free. Our speaker is Dr. Charles Neenkirken, and the seminar is titled Sacred Time and the Lenten Journey. And it's a great opportunity to learn more about the season of Lent and then learn about the role that Lent plays in our spiritual rhythm. And you can register for this event on Realm or through our website. And again, it is free. Coming up on March 15th, we have a midweek worship service that starts at 6.30 p.m. And it's going to be a time of worship, prayer, and discernment as we walk through this time of transition that we're in now and that is ahead of us. And so we hope you'll join us. The best way to know what's going on at Southview is by checking out our weekly viewpoint. And you can find a link to that viewpoint in the episode description of this podcast. Or you can go to Realm and join the new group, Southview Family Updates, and that will make sure that you're always getting the weekly viewpoint in your inbox. And if you're new with us here in this digital space, we would love to hear from you, and you can find an online connection card at the bottom of that viewpoint, along with a prayer request form so that we can support and join you in prayer. Additionally, you can always find us on Instagram and Facebook. But now today, no matter how you're joining with us, may each of our hearts be open and expectant, because God is here, and Jesus invites us to bring all that we are and all that we're currently carrying to him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let's seek the face of God together. Well, greetings, Southview family. It's great to be with you tonight and uh, to be able to celebrate uh, the goodness of God in our lives and to pause as uh, we do in our regular rhythm of life and to gather and to not only give praise to the living God who reigns above all, but to pause in the midst of the many things that go on, both on the outside of our lives and the inside, to listen to Jesus speak to us. When Jesus began his earthly ministry, particularly in the, in the gospel of Matthew, who began with these words, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. After that, he went into the synagogues teaching, and he began to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God, and he began to do healings throughout the region. Shortly after that, Matthew would take us up a small mountain, maybe more like a hill, and as he would go up, Jesus would go up this mountain, many would come to follow. And it would be the first of five teachings that Jesus would give through the gospel of Matthew. And each of those five teachings would follow immediately after with a narrative, with, a, with some action that would happen in the midst of the people. The Sermon on the Mount was the first of those teachings. It was a revisioning of the world as we may see it. It was a reclaiming of what once was echoed in the Garden of Eden, and it was a capturing of that which was ahead into the present reality. It was something that Jesus was saying, the people that would now represent me in this world would be people that might be different than we would be expecting. After that sermon, Jesus came down the mountain. In Matthew chapter 8, 1, it says he came down, and in the first of three healing experiences, stories, 
which we heard the first one last week, Jesus healed a leper. And then, as we're going to look into a little bit deeper tonight, uh, Jesus healed a centurion's servant. And then Jesus went on to heal a woman. I invite you into the Scriptures, and I ask you to remember this, that not only do we turn to the text and the Scriptures to listen to the words of God spoken to us, but we enter into the reality of the Jesus, the living one, who's resurrected and sits at the right hand of the Father, reigns, and now by His Spirit is with us in this room or in our room if we're listening live online. So Jesus speaks to you and to me. Friends, this is the Word of the Lord. Matthew chapter 8, verse 5, turns like this. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion said, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself of a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Well, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed, and he turned and he said to those following him, truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west, and will take the places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of that kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then turning back to the centurion, Jesus says, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And a servant was healed in that moment. This is the second, as I mentioned, of three healing stories. And often what Matthew does is when he tells stories in groups of three, he kind of has two outer pieces that a little bit point to a middle piece that kind of expands something that's happening, something that you and I are invited in to listen, to hear, in a sense that we would enter into something that's a little bit deeper into the story. It begins really with quick action as Jesus comes down the mountain. He comes down the mountain into the land, we could say, and there in the land is the place where all the tensions of the world are. Children are being raised along the Sea of Galilee. Uh, fishermen are tending their nets. Some are going to work out in the fields, and some are in the midst of maybe a, a struggle to make ends meet. Choices daily are being made. Will there be enough food for our family for one meal or two? In the midst of the land was all sorts of other things. For since things have gone awry east of Eden, the story of the humanity has gone again and again, so it's turned and spiraled downward. Now there's tensions and rumors of war and war. Sometimes there are economic imbalances. Sometimes there's those who are wrought with sickness or illness, as we heard in the story last week. The land was full of difficulties and realities. And like, in a sense, Jesus coming down the mountain as Moses once did, what God was trying to demonstrate through Jesus now on earth was that he was framing a people, inviting them in to a new identity to represent both that which was in the garden and that which he is gloriously moving towards. Some would say, particularly Matthew would say, it is like heaven 
breaking into the earth. There's something brand new that's happening here. So when I read these words, or when you and I listen in to this story here in Matthew, we hear this invitation from the centurion who begins to talk to Jesus. He comes asking, Lord, my servant lies paralyzed at home. There is a problem. There is a situation. His servant, that which he cares for, maybe there's a little bit of a genuine love and respect for the servants who's tended for his needs, or maybe his family's needs there. He's in a difficult place, suffering difficult, uh, terribly, the text says, because of his paralysis. He comes to Jesus, and he sees Jesus as the one. But there's something that we see here that the centurion understands. He says, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. He understands the tension in the land. For any good Jew would not go into the house of a Gentile. Any distinguished teacher, rabbi, in that time, in that place, would not just kind of walk right in, because that would cause all sorts of problems of religious, and, and, and the truth would be it would not probably look well. And this centurion, who came, in a sense, from Rome, represented a kingdom, a power that was not of God, was there in the land and inviting this one, Jesus, the Christ, to touch his servant. But he understood. He, an outsider, understood what appears to be almost like those on the inside didn't seem to understand. The outsider came and saw the one who really was there, this glorious one, Jesus the Christ, and he was seen as the healer. This is a story of someone who comes to heal, but it's more than a story of one who comes, who, who comes to heal. This is a story of an outsider being invited into the inside because he knows truly who the one is that will touch his servant's life. It is possible that someone could be here, could be listening, and there could be a very real strong sense that in our life or in our place or in our world, we feel estranged from this story. Like something doesn't quite belong. We've never been fully invited in. This story invites us in to recognize that we maybe are just like this Gentile. But it goes on. For when Jesus turns in verse 10 to his disciples or those who are, who are following him that day, he makes a profound statement. Truly, I tell you, I've not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the West will take the places at the Feast of Abraham. He's talking about something that was promised, that was echoed from the Old Testament. And now he's suggesting that some will come from the outside of the people of God, the Israelites, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they will be invited to the table. That they would actually have a seat and a place at the table, and they would encounter the grace and the mercy of God. That you can be from the outside and come into the inside, and you can encounter the living God who offers himself and his life in mercy and grace to those who are in need. Well, he pushes the contrast even further. In fact, the subject of the kingdom, he would say, as we read already once, they would be the ones who would be cast out into darkness as strange, where there'd be weeping and gnashing and teeth. The turn on the words as Jesus talks to those who are listening, now not speaking directly to the centurion, is something that would turn, in a sense, those who were there that day with a sense of taking a step back and being aghast. 
This can't be. But it's true. The outsiders become insiders. And even more, the servant, the servant who is actually not even there in the place that Jesus was in Capernaum, he is seen by the living God and is touched by the living God and is healed by the living God. So this is not just a story we could say of an outsider becoming an insider and being invited to the table. This is a story of those who are unseen and yet are seen by the living God himself, inviting them in to sit at the table to receive his grace and his mercy and love. Then we move on a little bit further into the text, and we find that if we push into the next chapter, this little kind of narrative that unfolds in these two chapters lands and kind of ends with one more statement by Jesus. Some of us may be somewhat familiar with it. In not, chapter 9, verse 12 and 13, we hear these words as Jesus speaks to those who are around him that day. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but to call the sinners. Now, let's be honest. If you've been around church for a while, maybe you've been uh, growing up in the church, or you've been in a long journey and, and understand language, sometimes the word, a word like sinners lands in a, a little sense of discomfort. The, the word here would carry a little bit of a label. It would, it would represent almost as if there would be those who would be the prostitutes, the sinners, the tax collectors, and they wouldn't be us. The sense was that they wouldn't be us and they wouldn't be worthy to be us. The sense was in the land and the people who are part of this land, the people who are trying to, to make efforts to be religious in so many ways, that those people who are labored sinners or tax collectors or prostitutes or whoever it would be, that they would be somehow deemed because of the way they spoke or be, but because of the way they acted or because of the endeavors that they did, the actions that were dishonoring to the glorious God in, in heaven, because of the way they were in the world, that they somehow needed to be kept at arm's length. You know, Jesus looking again as he pushes through these two chapters, pulling this story and this healing story forward, says, but these are the exact ones that I've come for. What Matthew does in Matthew chapter 12 and 13 is he allows Jesus to, to say these words, and Mark doesn't add this, and neither does Luke. It's that little phrase in the middle that references Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. But go. And learn what this means. I desire mercy. The listeners that day who might have heard that could have recalled moments earlier or days earlier when the exact timeline, what timeline was, we aren't sure. But Jesus, when he would say, blessed are the merciful, for they would receive mercy. What Jesus was doing is he was coming down off of the mountain, giving the Sermon on the Mount, and now acting into the world. He was demonstrating the grace and the love and the mercy of the living God to people just like you and I. People who oftentimes feel like they don't belong. People who sometimes feel like they are unseen. People who have been told by someone along the way that you don't belong, that there's a mark, there's a stripe, there's an action, there's something that's happened in your life. And to be honest... You should be pushed aside. Ah. But the good news of Jesus that invites us in 
It invites us, every one of us, to reconsider and reframe what it means to be a community of faith, what it means to be a people who are on the way, what it means to be a follower and a disciple or a disciple of Jesus Christ. For we would be the ones who so often would find ourselves at our places in our own rooms, in our homes, in the workplaces. We would be the students at school at times, or we could be an individual who sits in a room just like this. And it's actually the living God, the one that the centurion knew, came to to ask for help, a touch for his servant who is suffering. And yet we feel the suffering in this moment. And it's these individuals, you and I, who are invited in to receive that which only God could give in his mercy and his grace, and then to come and follow along. My wife and I have some friends who work and serve faithfully in Guatemala City. In Guatemala City, there's this place, this small kind of area. It's called La Lina, the line. It's really just an old railroad track that kind of runs down a street. It's got dirt on either side of the track. And maybe there's a long row of kind of, kind of like warehouse, old kind of metal tin-like kind of storage units. You could see as if it was kind of a, an old railroad yard on one side and another long railroad kind of storage area on the other side. Along these kind of tin, tin kind of doorway or, or uh, sideways was, uh, would be doors about every five, six, seven feet or so. Both sides of La Lina would be these exact same doors. And usually on any given day of the week, in every given month of the year, there'd be a woman who'd be leaning against those doors. And periodically, men would walk down La Lina, and they would look, and they would decide, and they would choose, and they would offer money, and they would make an exchange. Our friend Sean and Natalie one day about 10 years ago. Took a little wagon, the same kind of wagon that some of us pull our grandchildren or our children along in. The wagon was full of hot coffee and cookies. It was really uh, quite unspectacular, and they began to walk La Lina, the line. Every day they tried to make eye, eye contact, tried to talk, tried to see. So many of the women would just ignore them and talk amongst themselves, let them pass by or just wave them on. They were, they were Caucasian and they weren't necessarily always invited and, and, and wanted to be there. But slowly they began to extend themselves. A number of years ago in the church I was pastoring in, we had a chance to go and meet and visit and engage. As someone who's a man, someone who's a white man, I wasn't very welcomed in that place because of all the things of power and dynamics that would be involved in that kind of a reality. In so many cases, I saw and felt the reality of the darkness of the world, the brokenness of the land that we spoke of early. And yet through the offer of grace and mercy through Sean and Natalie and the extension of others who began to join them and pray and minister, they began something that, began to, that continues to this day. Around the corner is a place called La Porta, the door. And women in the middle of their day will go and find a space, a place where they can be welcomed in 
But they aren't just welcome in. For many of these women have been passed around. They aren't necessarily from Guatemala, and they aren't necessarily from Central America. They, they don't have any identity. They don't have papers. They maybe have two or three children, and they've maybe not even told their families where they, or that, what they do for a living. They just get on a bus early in the dark of the morning and cross town to this area called the line. And yet when they come into the door, they're seen. They're celebrated. They have birthday parties with balloons. They, they, they do nail polish. They, they talk and they celebrate. They, they, they teach them. They love them. They're experienced with warm hugs as they come in. There's food that is there for them. There's something dynamic that is happening. It's as if a bit of heaven breaks right down into a space, into a place where the world is being rearranged and being reframed. That's a long ways away, Guatemala City. What about my world and your world? I teach at a Christian university, and I teach particularly in an area called the School of Ministry. It's the, the undergrad program for those who are exploring God's calling upon their life. I've often come home, and I have subjects that I teach, but I've often come home and said to my wife, likely the most important thing I do in the classroom today is look at people and let them know that they're loved that they're important. And if I get the opportunity to have a little bit deeper conversation, to offer the grace and the mercy of God through prayer for their lives. And every once in a while, if they give me permission, I give them a hug to let them know that they're valued. Again and again, I have this ongoing conversation with my son who works with the young adults at Foothills Alliance Church across town. Again and again, there's a generation of people. It's not necessarily their fault. It probably has more to do with my generation who are lost and confused and uncertain about this world. There's so many complexities in front of them. There's mental health issues. There's vocational issues. There's pressure from parents. There's issues in culture around them that are trying to discern. There's all sorts of things that are rearranging people's minds and hearts and confusing them. And I often wonder to myself, what does it take to create a space and a place where people can be welcomed in, received with the peace of Christ, where people can be seen and loved and observed and welcomed every time they arrive. About a year ago, one of the funnest events of our life happened. Our daughter had our first grandchild. Her name is Nova Drew, and Nova Drew came into this world, and she came into this world with just a whole, uh, whole bundle of energy and joy. We could always see it on her face again and again. And somewhere in that three months to the seventh month or so, as she began to kind of orient herself beyond the person that would be holding her, you'd see again and again that she'd see the faces of people in the room. She went look through the window. She didn't look at the books that might have been there or the toys that could have been on the ground. But she'd look in faces of people. It was always so fun because we'd look at her and because she's the first kind of child, the kind of grandchild that comes into our home, there's a whole bunch of energy. Everyone comes and sees Nova and we light up and we delight in her and we see her and we hold her and we try to make her squeal and smile. Dr. Kurt Thompson a Christian psychiatrist and Christian author says this, every human being that comes into this world comes with a desire to be seen, to be known, 
and to be loved. And yet as people begin to grow, as they become, begin to become aware of the things around them, they put up barriers, they put up blocks, and sometimes they protect and they hide and they go through all the realities as systems grow up and kids go through schools and we enter the workforce. Sometimes we recognize some of these people are not good people to work with. I need to go work here or there or move on. Sometimes people have a dog in the back over the fence. And we decide we don't like those people because they are dog people and we're cat people. So we move over to another place where we find there's other cat people that we can enjoy. The world is complicated. The world is difficult. And in the midst of the world, the good news of Jesus echoes like a golden voice that moves from the garden forward to the return of Jesus Christ. The good news that invites people from the outside to come in. People who aren't seen to be seen. So the question that maybe confronts us today is what does it mean to be a people who faithfully respond in that way? How do we respond so that we can be those who embody this very mercy and grace and love of God? How can we create space for Christ to be magnified and glorified so his healing touch can go out and touch mind and body and soul? How do we become those kind of people? And again and again, we're invited through the scriptures, through the gospels, to follow in the way of Jesus. To repent, to turn, to surrender, to seek first the kingdom of God, as Jesus said, and his righteousness, which so often for me means to let go that which I'm holding on to and turn my eyes upon him and recognize that I have all that I deeply need in him. I become a follower and I become a learner of Jesus himself. But then I recognize that as I'm, as I'm baptized into this new life in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, I come and I join a community of faith and we begin to embody together this mercy and this grace of God. We act in ways that are generous. We act in ways that break down social institutions. We act in ways that become uh, reconcilers in the world around us. And the echo from the Sermon on the Mount is true. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who hunger. Blessed are those who mourn with those who mourn. And maybe most importantly, we begin to recognize again and again that our daily lives are moments when we can find others to turn to. Sometimes there's someone closer than we maybe realize. Someone who could be with us even today. Sometimes there's someone that we know that we need to phone before this day ends. And we become listeners, and we become seers, and we become extenders of God's grace, and we hold hands at a bedside. And we walk with people, and we pray with people, and we embody the very nature of the one who's come and demonstrated and gave his life to us. Let me give you one more picture before we move to the table. Sometime after Jesus went to the cross and and resurrected and then ascended to the right hand of the Father, the good news of Jesus Christ began to go through the Roman world. As the good news began to go, went into the Gentiles up in the north in the region, kind of in Macedonia and Asia Minor and into Italy and eventually even into other places. And as it kind of creeped forward, little gatherings of people, 
began to gather regularly. They'd pause their weekly activity. And it says on the first day of the week, they'd gather again and again in the book of Acts and they'd worship and they'd sing and they'd read the scriptures from the Old Testament and they'd listen to the teaching of the apostles and they'd gather for a shared meal. And in fact, in one of the many stories that we read in the rest of the New Testament after the Gospels, we see in a story in Philemon, even a slave would be welcomed back into the community. And if you have the imagination for that little narrative and that letter that was given, we would see that sometimes, well, the world would say that you don't belong. Well, the world would say those who have power or knowledge or strength are the most important. The table would remind us that everyone is welcome as they give themselves to Jesus Christ. And so at the table, there would be a reframing of reality. It wasn't just the householder, the head of the household, who would sit at the table with other men from the community. No, it would be men and women. It would be Gentiles and Jews who would gather. It would be those who were slaves in the back who had been preparing the meal, but yet they would come and they would share in that one meal. Everything would be turned upside down, like a brand new reframing of humanity, all centered in the person of Jesus Christ. And for 2,000 years, the church would continue that practice. We would gather on the first day of the week, or at least on the weekend at some point. And we would remember that what is happening in our lives is at least two things. That there would be a reframing of our relationships one with the other. And there would be a modeling for those who maybe wonder and see to the world around us that this is a shared meal that levels everything. The, see, the unseen are now seen. The outsiders are now sitting at the table with you and I. But maybe most importantly, the second thing would be simply this. And we would recognize in the weekly rhythm of life that we desperately need the grace and mercy of God as the source of everything that we are, both as an individual and as a community of faith. So, friends, as we turn from the gospel of Jesus speaking to us to the table where Jesus gives to us, we remember. We remember that we're invited here, not just as individuals who seek to give thanks to God for the, for the life that was given on our behalf so that we can live with God eternally, but we remember that in coming to the table, we are gathered one with the other, that somehow there's a transformal relationship one to the next. And we remember that this meal nourishes us, that it supports us, that there's a transformational peace as I cling to it. I invite you to take that little cup and the element that you have there as we remember the words of Jesus. Jesus, when he gathered with those very first disciples before he went to the cross, in the upper room, he took the bread and he broke it and he said, take and eat for this is my body given for you. And then in the same manner, being nourished on his body, he took the cup and he held it up to those disciples and he said, this is my blood 
poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. It shapes and forms a new covenant that defines us together forever. Let's drink. Jesus, as we pause in the midst of our week and allow one week to come to an end and the next to begin, we recognize that our responsibility is something that is being reshaped through our acts together. We recognize that your coming redefines the world that we live in. And we recognize that together we are called to be on mission and serve and love. May your spirit fill us anew and afresh. May your love engage us and it be extended through us. May your mercy be seen in our actions one to the other to those that we see through this week ahead of us. Christ, and may we find ourselves again and again, releasing all that we might be holding on to, and simply holding on to the nourishment that only you can give. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we close, I want to invite you to stand with me as I share these words. I think of the Gentile word, world and the words that Paul would write partway through his letter to the church in Ephesus. And he would say it this way, reminder of the great truth of what we have in Christ. For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. And I pray that out of this glorious richness he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you and I may be filled to the full measure of the fullness of God. So now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we could ask or imagine, according to his power that is work within us, to him be glory in his church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God bless.